The text that was read for us a few moments ago, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 15, where Paul says these words, Thanks be to God for His, the King James Version has unspeakable gift, but the preferred translation is His indescribable gift. Uh, this morning I want to spend some time thinking about that particular verse Uh, It's just eight words, but if you spend some time thinking about it, it makes a very, very profound statement. It's one of those verses that you read, and if you read it the first time, you just kind of go over it and just kind of pass it by, not think about it a whole lot. But if you stop and contemplate what the Apostle Paul is saying here, in that short verse, just eight words, Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Now, I believe all of us down through the years uh, have received some gifts that we remember with fondness. I don't know why this is the case, but I remember a gift that I got when I was five years old. And it's one of the earliest memories that I have of being at that age, Uh, but for some reason... I can still very vividly in my mind, I can be in the same room where I received it in a house in Gallipolis, Ohio, and I got a Puff the Magic Dragon guitar that you wound and it played Puff the Magic Dragon. Now, that's not a very impressive gift, and I'm assuming when I was five, it must have made an impression on me because I still remember it now, uh, over 50 years ago. Uh, But that's the first gift that I have any recollection of that my parents gave me. Uh, Perhaps there's some gift that you remember when you were a child. Uh, I remember very vividly the very first time that I got a bicycle for Christmas. Uh, Kids don't think a whole lot about bicycles now like they did when I was a kid. but, But if you had a bicycle when you were a kid, it was like having a horse. Because you had so much freedom. Our parents actually let us get on the bike and drive and ride and, and go and be gone all day and wouldn't worry about us at all. We could ride our bikes into town. If we had the time, we could go into another county uh, because bikes gave you so much freedom. And, and uh, I remember uh, when I got a BB gun. I remember one time my parents bought me a chemistry set. I remember with fondness uh, gifts that my children bought me. Um, Several years ago, uh, the kids gave me a, a uh, cornhole game, a Tennessee-decorated uh, cornhole game. And it's not that the gift itself was that extravagant, but the reason why I appreciate that gift so much was because of the fact that all four of the kids got together and collaborated and, and came up with something special. And those kind of gifts, um, you know, you remember. But I start thinking about all the gifts I've gotten down through the years, I don't think I have ever received a gift that was indescribable. Well, maybe some sweaters that my grandmother gave me. But, um, but seriously, have you ever gotten a gift that was indescribable? What does that even mean? What is an indescribable gift? Is it a, skip, a gift that you just can't identify? You don't know what it is? Uh, is it a gift that when you received it, you become so emotional that you're lost for words? Uh, is it a gift that you care nothing about, so you just don't 
uh, care to describe it? What exactly is an indescribable gift? Now, I don't know if you've ever seen one of these cars or not, and the sun's shining on it, it kind of makes it hard to see. Uh, But this is a Koenigsegg CCXR. Price tag on that thing is $4.8 million. Now, if you love me and you want to show me some appreciation, you want to get me this, um, that is fine. I won't fuss at you about that. But I'd have a hard time trying to describe someone, if you gave me this gift, why in the world is it worth $4.8 million? It's just a car. And it's pretty, and it does some neat things, and it has all kinds of horsepower and whatnot, and does some fancy things with a fin in the back and that kind of thing. But um, I would have a hard time describing this particular car in such a way to make you think that it's worth $4.8 million. I don't think I could do it. But that's really not an indescribable gift. In fact, all gifts are describable. In fact, uh, even this car. There are manufacturers who produce products that do their very best to describe and advertise things so that you will buy them at gifts. So in a way, all gifts are describable. But yet when we open up our Bibles and we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 15, the Apostle Paul says, Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Now, if you look at the text this morning, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul begins talking about human gifts. Gifts that humans are giving to other humans. The church in Jerusalem was facing some tough financial times. There were some poor people there. The church was very poor. It's because of them having all things in common, perhaps. Perhaps it was because of the persecution. But the Apostle Paul was taking up a very special collection for the church at Jerusalem. And so he begins chapter 9 talking about these human gifts, talking about the unselfishness of the church at Corinth and their willingness to give this large sum of money uh, to the church at Jerusalem. And he comes to verse 6 and he says, But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. And then in verse 7 he says, Every man according as he has purpose in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And then after talking about these human gifts, he comes to the conclusion of 2 Corinthians 9, And he changes it to the greatest gift of all. After talking about human gifts, he says, Thanks be to God, or thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift, or his indescribable gift. This morning, we're going to make three suggestions, if you will, because that's all we can do. Three suggestions about what Paul means when he talks about this indescribable gift. And the very first thing I want you to think about this morning is that the gift of Jesus Christ is indescribable 
because, first of all this morning, because of His nature. Now think about this for a moment. How would you describe Jesus Christ? What words would you use to describe Him? Now I could take a poll around the room this morning and I say, describe Jesus Christ for me. And you would come up with different words. You might say, well, he's the Prince of Peace. He's the Son of God. He's someone who loves us. He's both God and man. Well, yeah, those are descriptions of Jesus Christ. But really, when you think about his nature, that fully doesn't describe who Jesus Christ is. How do you describe to someone uh, a man who was born of a virgin? How can you describe that in a scientific, biological way? That is not possible. But yet, that is Jesus Christ. And we can try to explain how that happened. We can say the Spirit of the, of the Lord came upon, her, came upon Mary, and, and we can talk about all that kind of stuff, but that really doesn't describe what happened. Or how do you describe to someone how that Jesus Christ was 100% Fully human, but yet he was 100% fully God. How do you describe someone that the prophet Isaiah refers to him as being Emmanuel or God with us? How do you fully describe that? What does that mean? And the reason why we have a hard time describing that is because we deal with the material. We deal with the physical. We really don't have an understanding or fully can appreciate that which is spiritual. We have a finite mind, so how in the world can we describe something that was God up in heaven in a spirit form, but that spirit form became a physical form, and those two things dwell together both as God and man, or God with us. How do you fully not only comprehend that, but try to describe that to somebody else? How can someone who has all knowledge be described by somebody who has unlimited knowledge? How can someone that is all-powerful be described by a human who has limited power? The Apostle Paul, when he starts thinking about Jesus Christ and thinking about how God gave us Jesus Christ, the only thing that he can do is drop to his knees and say, Thanks be unto God for His indescribable gift. Now, there have been those a whole lot smarter than me, who have dis dis tried to describe who Jesus Christ is. Some of the best minds of the time said, this is a definition of Jesus Christ. This came from the Council of Chalcedon in 451 uh, uh, A.D. Notice what it says. Perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood. Truly man of a reasonable and rational soul and body. Consubstantial, coexistent with the Father according 
to the manhood and all things like unto us without sin, begotten before all ages of the Father according to the Godhead, and in these latter times for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary and of the Mother of God, according to the manhood, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten to be acknowledged in two natures, inconfusably, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, and the distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved. Huh? Did you understand that? Paul says that when you think about Jesus Christ, when you think about and try to comprehend His nature of who He is. All Paul can say is, it can't be described. The indescribable gift of God. But also this morning, I want to add another suggestion. Another reason why Jesus is indescribable is because of His gift of grace. His gift of grace. Now, if you look at the text, notice that Paul refers to him as a gift. He could have used the word, the indescribable Jesus. He could have used the word, the indescribable Savior. He could say, Jesus, the indescribable man. Jesus, the indescribable one who loves us. But he said and decided through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to use the phrase indescribable gift. And I believe he did that on purpose because of the fact, not only did he want us to appreciate and understand the fact that the very nature of Jesus was indescribable, but the very fact that Jesus did what he did and God had him do what he did, that too is indescribable. And the only word he could use to help describe it And call it indescribable was the word gift. Now, whenever I give a gift to someone, I give a gift to those people because they have some kind of claim on me. Now, let me explain to you what I mean by that. And let me just be frank about this. You might not want to hear this, but this is true, and it's the case with each and every one of you. The reason why I give gifts to my wife is because she's my wife. Now, if I gave gifts to her and she wasn't my wife, then somebody might get upset. But the reason why I give give gifts to my wife is because she's my wife. The reason why I give gifts to my children is because they are my children. The reason why I give gifts to my grandchildren is because they're my grandchildren. In fact, the reason why you give gifts to your family is because they are your family. They have a claim on you in a sense. Now, if I give a gift to someone who is not a family member, it's usually because they are a very close friend and there is some type of almost family closeness there. We might give them a gift for that reason. Or we might give a gift to someone else because of an obligation, because we either live close to someone or we work with someone. Uh, There may be some other association, but we feel an obligation or a claim on us that we need to give that gift. There may be some people that I have uh, given a gift to in the past 
simply because, and if you're honest, you've done this too, simply because they gave me a gift one year, and I didn't get them one, and I felt bad, so I had to get them one this year, and then they had to give me one. And the cycle just keeps going on and on and on. You see, there's a claim there. There's an obligation that's being felt. Even if I give a gift to someone who is hungry, or give a gift to someone who is homeless or needy, it is based upon an obligation that this is something that I need to do, something that I need to do out of my love for humankind. There is an obligation involved. There's a claim there. And so when the Apostle Paul uses the word gift there, and he describes Jesus Christ as being the indescribable gift, he wants us to understand and appreciate the fact that Jesus Christ was given to us as a gift under no claim, under no obligation, under no reason whatsoever. Not only did we not have a claim on Jesus Christ, not only was there no obligation on Jesus Christ's part, but Jesus Christ freely gave Himself while we are sinners and rebellious. It's like we're slapping Him in the face, but yet He still gives us gifts. It's no wonder the writer in Paul in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8 says that God commended His love toward us while we were yet sinners. And folks, that's just hard for my mind to fathom. How do you explain that to someone? Someone who has no knowledge of Jesus, someone who has no knowledge of sin. How do you explain to them from a gift-giving standpoint how that Jesus Christ gave Himself to us under no obligation, no reason why I would expect it, and He did it? while we basically rebelled and blasphemed against Him. How do you explain that? In human logical terms, it can't be described. And so it's no wonder, once again, when Paul is thinking about human gifts in chapter 9, when he thinks about the unselfishness of the church at Corinth, and he's thinking about what it means to be a cheerful giver, he comes to the end of the chapter and he's thinking about the greatest gift that mankind has ever gotten. And all he can do once again is fall to his knees and say, Thank be, Thanks be unto God for His indescribable gift. Folks, it boggles the mind when you think about what we have done to God and His Son, Jesus Christ, especially before we became a Christian, but we think about how that we fail Him each and every day, but yet He gave us this indescribable gift. It's no wonder Paul just kind of just threw up his hands. He says, I can't explain it. I can't describe it. It's unexplainable. But yet, when we think about the indescribable gift, it certainly was the gift of grace. But then a third suggestion, and this is Jesus' indescribable gift because of the effect it has on us. And I want you to think about two things when it comes to this, but before we talk about those two things, 
I want you to think for a moment. Have you ever received a gift that changed your life? That because of that one gift, that from that standpoint, that point forward, uh, things changed. You had different goals in life. Your life moved in a different direction. I was trying to think back over my life, and I I can't really think of any gift that I received that kind of changed the course of my life or changed uh, my goals in life. I know, as I mentioned earlier, my parents bought me a... Uh, both the chemistry set one year and a biology set one year where you got to not only do experiments with chemicals, but you got to cut up animals and whatnot. Perhaps they thought this would change my life and turn me into a doctor or a scientist. Well, it didn't work. I remember one year they got me a set of drums, and maybe they hoped that if I beat on them, I wouldn't beat on my brothers. But that didn't work either. But other people perhaps have gotten gifts in their lives that completely... Uh, changed their lives forever. Because of the gift that they received, uh, they either became, became a great musician or became a great scientist or became a great philanthropist, whatever the thing may be. My point in this is that the indescribable gift that God has given us, that gift truly has changed our lives. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior by humbling obeying what He has set forth as His commands in God's Word, by believing on Him, repenting of our sins, confessing His name, and being buried in the watery grave of baptism, we received a gift that forever changes our lives. First of all, the effect that it has on us is we get forgiveness of sins. Because of this indescribable gift, I get forgiveness of sins. Now, I know you've heard this so many times from this pulpit and from other people that we almost lose sight of the fact how amazing and how indescribable it is that we get forgiveness of sins. Folks, think about that for a minute. Let that soak into you. This should be the most cherished thing that we hold in our hearts. That God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us of our sins. How do you describe that to someone? When you think about the sinfulness of mankind, and you think about the holiness of God, when you think about how that I've done nothing to deserve it, when I could do nothing to earn it, how that it was freely given by the grace and love of God, and because of that, regardless of what I've done in the past, regardless of how rebellious and heinous I've been, regardless of how each and every day of my life, I'm never ever what I'm supposed to be. But because of the indescribable gift, Jesus Christ, I can have forgiveness of sins. Now somebody explain that to me. How can that happen? I mean, that's just not right. I don't deserve that. You don't deserve that. So explain that to me. How in the world can that happen? Well, I can't explain it. All I can tell you what 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 says. The Apostle Paul says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. 
And if God can save a sinner like the Apostle Paul, He can certainly save a sinner like me. But once again, how do you explain that? How do you describe that? How do you describe that effect on us? Once again, all the Apostle Paul can do is drop to his knees and say, thanks be to God for his undescribable, indescribable, unspeakable gift. But there's a second thing I want you to think about as far as his effect on us. And that is, I want you to think about the fact that we now are part of the family of God. And we've been adopted into his kingdom. We are citizens of his kingdom. And we get a heavenly reward. To help us appreciate this, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and begin reading at verse 11. And I want you to remember that this is a description of who we were before... We had this indescribable gift make this effect upon us. This is who we were before we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. This is who we were before we obeyed the commandments that are stated in the plan of salvation. In fact, the text begins in verse 11. He says, wherefore, remember. Go back in time. Remember what it was like before you were a Christian. You may not appreciate that this was the case before you were a Christian, but this is a description of what you were before you were a Christian. He says, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time, now look at this, that at that time, Ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But thanks be to God, verse 13 comes up next. But now in Christ Jesus ye who sometime were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Let's look at another passage over in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 8, look at the effect now that has taken place because now we have been brought nigh by Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 8 beginning at verse 14. He says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. I don't know if you appreciate the full impact of what it means when he says we are children of God, that we have received the spirit of adoption, that we are now heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. What he's saying there is, as children of God, we get everything that Jesus Christ received. That's what it means to be a joint heir. What Jesus Christ inherited, we're going to inherit. 
Now think about that for a moment. Think about what you were before. You were strangers from the covenant of promise. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You were without Christ and without God. Therefore, you were without hope. And you go from being a stranger and alien to being a child of God, adopted by the Father, that you have a personal relationship with Him. You can address Him and call Him Abba Father. And you receive an inheritance, a joint inheritance with Jesus Christ. Now once again, somebody describe for me what all that means and how all that works. Can you fully describe to me what it means to be a child of God? Oh, you could give me some platitudes. It means you're saved. It means you're going to heaven. It means... Well, that's results of it, but can you fully explain what it means to be an actual child of God who resides in heaven? Well, can somebody fully explain to me what it means to be joint heirs with Christ? You can't explain it to me here on this earth because you don't know what that means until you get to heaven. So there's no way you can explain that to me. Or for that matter, explain to me what heaven is. We can read the book of Revelation and some other places that give us a description of heaven, but it's obvious from the description it's being described in terms that are physical because this feeble mind in my head just can't quite comprehend what heaven is really like. And so once again, as you think about the effect that Jesus Christ has upon us, the forgiveness of sins and the inheritance and the family and the citizenship that we enjoy... Once again, like the Apostle Paul, we can only drop to our knees and say, thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Now I knew when I started working on this sermon a couple of weeks ago that I was going to fail in what I started out to do. I knew that in a lot of ways this sermon will be a failure because the purpose of this sermon is to describe to you an indescribable gift. And a man better than me, the Apostle Paul, says, I can't do it. All I can do is just say, thank you, God, for that indescribable gift. A little over 2,000 years ago, God looked down upon this earth. And he saw the Roman soldiers marching in the streets. He saw a world of people who had no peace and who had no hope. And he looked at them and he said, How in the world can I demonstrate to them my love for them? How can I let them know that I love them? And of course, I'm using an illustration here because I don't know how God thinks. There's no way possible I could, but... But if God decided, well, I'll tell you what, to let these people know 2,000 years ago that I love them, I'm just going to come down to earth and appear in person in all my glory and let them know who I am and that I love them. And he thought about that and he said, no, nah, that won't work because if I appear to them in all the, my glory, it will scare them to death. I remember even when I was on Mount Sinai. How that I just walked by Moses as he had his back turned to me and his face shone like for days because of the glory. 
that was beheld. And if I come to the earth in all my glory, then it will just scare people away and they'll never have the close personal relationship that I want to have with them. Or maybe I could just have a voice come down from heaven and say in my thunderous voice, people, I love you. But yet once again, because of the power and the thunder of that voice, they would never feel like they could respond and approach me. So God finally decided to give us an indescribable gift. In Galatians chapter 4, beginning at verse 4, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This morning, in each and every day of our lives, just like the Apostle Paul, we need to drop to our knees and say, Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. If you have a need this morning, won't you come as together we stand and sing.